Welcome to Lucas Baseball Season 4, Episode 3, brought to you by DrRoto.com. Check out our fantasy baseball draft guide. Start dominating your drafts and your leagues. On today's show, we're breaking down the second base position rankings and tiers for fantasy baseball in 2022. I'm Lou Landers, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lucas Beery. Lucas, last week we pumped out catcher, we pumped out first base. Today, talking second baseman, as I mentioned, and there are some big-time producers at this position, especially the top option. Absolutely. This position at second base, oddly enough, has become, in my opinion, kind of a throwaway position at the big league level. They kind of put failed third baseman or maybe a failed shortstop there they we've seen uh, big heavy set guys like Mike Moustakis or Max Muncie man the position with the with the uh, integration of shifting and such but Trey Turner is obviously just the the top guy at second base you're going to get a 300 batting average you're going to get hopefully 25 plus home runs with 25 steals and more importantly his team context is going to be at an all-time high hitting high in the order for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So it's an, it's a comfortable 1.1 pick for me. And thankfully I'll be making that 1.1 pick with Trey Turner and TGFBI Monday morning. Yeah, you're lucky, man. I have pick 15 and I don't mind it. I mean, it was fifth or sixth on my KDS, even though I had uh, the 11th overall choice, but I certainly won't be getting a guy like Trey, but he should clearly be a top three pick at the very least. I mean, I like him as 1-1, as you mentioned. This guy can swipe 30-plus bags. He should hit at least 320. Um, just had a career best in homers with 28. This is a player that could lead the entire National League in runs, steals, and batting average while still chipping in 80 or so RBIs and 25 or more homers. Really the only player that could potentially do that other than him would be Fernando Tatis Jr., but Tatis Jr. is shortstop and outfield eligible, so he's not eligible, obviously, in second base, which is what we're talking about. And then there's the shoulder issue that mm-hmm. you kind of just never know if and when uh, he might injure it to the point where surgery is required. So for me, it's it's Trey 1-1 all the way. And I would even consider Jose Ramirez as 1-2 um, over Tatis Jr. if I'm trying to avoid a potential risk. I firmly agree. I made that call myself and went with uh... – Went with Ramirez 1-2 uh, earlier this week in another draft, so absolutely. Yeah, well, we'll talk about him when we do our third base pod. Uh, anything more on Trey Turner, or shall we move on to the next tier? I think most people have realized that not only is he uh, an elite stolen base source, but he's a really, really good hitter over the past three seasons. His isolated power has been well over 200, which is the mark of a really solid home run bat. And yeah, there's really no issues with him dual eligibility. So if you do want to invest in a a big time shortstop down the road, you can put him at second, you can put him at short, you can make changes in the draft, make changes in the season. That dual eligibility is insanely awesome. And yeah, great pick. He's also one of those guys that if you get on your team, you don't really have to think about your next hitter whenever you're taking them. It can be any player that can do anything. You don't have to be like, oh, I need this. I need that because Turner is doing it all for you. Absolutely. It just makes it that much easier. So next here is cream of the crop. And Aussie Albies, Whit Merrifield, Marcus Semien 
are in this tier. And I look at Albies, by far my favorite in the tier, Lucas. He does everything for you. We could be looking at a 30 homer, 100-plus run, 100-plus RBI, 20-plus deals, batting average that certainly won't hurt you. Did hit just 259 in 2021, but he's a career 273 hitter. He could get back to that, but I mean, I think you would agree that I would gladly even take 250 if it means all that power and those runs and those steals. I think he's a top 10 player, even though he's not going there. I absolutely agree. Early on in the draft season, I was thinking we we finally have started to normalize Bryce Harper in the first round. That's a very commonplace thing. We need to normalize Ozzy Albies in the set in the first round as well. Well, His... let's let's just hope people don't listen to this till after <laughs> uh, Monday though, because I would like to take Ozzy Albies at the fifteenth pick in TGFBI, and I really want him to fall there. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, he really you could justify taking him eighth, ninth, or tenth. You really could. I mean, we're gonna get into it. I think second base is a fairly deep position. It's a really nice position because you can get all sorts of skill sets there. You can get great power. You can get excellent speed. You can get a touch of both. You can go for high batting average. Really, whatever you need, this position will have you covered, unlike first or third, which is just mostly power. Um, But with Albies, he's going to max out games played. Atlanta's philosophy has been to play their players as much as possible. You know, Dansby Swanson played 160 games. Albies played 156. And the power has, has ticked up a notch. He's still stealing bases provides balanced categories he's not heavy on runs rather than rbis and the 259 batting average could easily tick up to 275 280 plus and if that happens well his power and steel stick then he's well earned first round value that you can likely get in round two in a lot of leagues yeah i mean he's kind of like jose ramirez light in a sense switch hitting infielder who can do absolutely everything for you and if their average bumps up they're even more valuable than they already are. Well said. Well, Whit Merrifield and Marcus Semien are also in this tier. So here's my thoughts on these guys. You have Merrifield. The stolen bases are elite. 40 a year ago, 45 back in 2018. But I look a little deeper, and I have an issue. Because just 20 in 2019, and he doesn't hit for power. He has a career high of 19 homers. That came almost five years ago now. Just 10 last year. Batting average dropping every season since 2018. Suddenly, he's just not necessarily worth the pick at his price if the steals don't return to that 30 to 40 range. And um, he does have outfield eligibility, certainly beneficial, but without the power, with the drop in batting average, I think there's better options where he's going. Interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm on Whit Merrifield this year. Uh, it is it is petrifying, I will say, to see a guy hitting under 400 slugging percentage and take him in, in round two, round three. Certainly can't argue that point. It took him 720 plate appearances to just get 10 homers. That's insane. That is not much power. But that is not the name of his game. Last year, he attempted 44 steals, and he was caught four times. He knows that once he gets on first base – he can turn the, he can turn it into a double because he's so successful on the base paths. Kansas City is obviously not a premium offense, so they're going to need him to run. He's 33. I know that's getting up there, but this is a very wise player who has good athleticism and, and excellent uh, recognition of when to take off. And I think that he is going to provide you those 30 steals, and that's just tough to get, especially with dual eligibility. I am on him, even though I have concerns about the power. But doesn't it concern you that he went from? 45 
to 20 back up to 40 like it, it it's a big discrepancy the efficiency caused uh he got caught stealing 10 times out of his 30 attempts in 2019 and <clears throat> the, and then last year he was far more efficient so i would think that has something to do with it he's figured out a way to become more successful in the base paths but that is a fair point 40 is you're not paying for 40 with this draft pick or else you'd go higher but if you're hoping for 32 plus I if you get 20 to 25 let's say which is still good mm-hmm. you're in trouble because he's not giving you the power that's and the batting enough. average is falling that's my I'm concern thinking, i'm thinking 32 is kind of what i would be hoping for with him over 30 at least and if you get that then sure i'm with you because yeah. you can find power and everything else now they're playing he does Marcus, also have a really he does also have a really strong batting average i know that it's come down a little bit but in every era, year 70 280 that's pretty good, though. Yeah, but I know it's 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 above average, but it's continuously dropping. So he has to, I guess, avoid that trend of it continuing to drop. But Marcus Semyon is a guy who I just it's it's really hard to say what I'm about to say because of how incredible he was a year ago for the Jays. But he was in the contract year. He hit in the best lineup in Major League Baseball. He played in a division with some of the most hitter-friendly ballpark. Now he goes, signs this big-time deal to a much worse lineup in one of the worst home ballparks for hitters now, a division that isn't nearly as hitter-friendly, and I just do not see how he could come close to repeating the 2021 success. And if he doesn't, I just don't think he's worth it at his ADP. Still a good player, but not the player we saw in 2021. Absolutely. He he's only had two seasons in his entire career where he's been over 100 WRC plus. That's pretty insane for a guy that's been in the MVP conversation multiple times whenever he is on his high. I agree. I am not uh, particularly interested in him at his ADP, but that is a common thought. So if he does fall uh, to around pick 55 to 70 range, the thing is, is that similar to Whit Merrifield, Marcus Simeon, never misses games over 700 plate appearances commonly throughout his career so i do think he is a fairly safe bet for 30 plus homers and 12 to 15 steals now that is uh quite a downfall of what he did in 2021 so you can't pay for what he did last year but at a certain point i can see some value for the dual eligible simeon so you mentioned the the power and you say he you think he's good for what do you say about 30 plus 30 plus I could see that yeah I mean maybe you can get that but he's only done that twice and uh, to be fair it's his last two full seasons that he's done that but going to Texas is much different than Toronto sure Oakland isn't necessarily known for its um, it's being overly hitter friendly either uh, but Texas appears to be one of the worst for hitters now um, after their old ballpark used to be amazing so it really could change a lot of things it could depend how he's pitched to based on texas really not being all that great offensively either i mean those years in oakland the a's were a pretty good lineup with olsen and chapman before he took a bit of a downfall so um all those things do come into account but yeah maybe you'll get 30 homers and 15 stolen bases and be happy i think the safety net for him is that he has changed his approach at the plate to a degree he is hitting more fly balls and he's hitting more pull side home run, more pull side as well. 
So it, to me, that is more of a distinct change. Now, you could argue that the, the Rangers locked him up for a, a seven-year contract. Perhaps they say, hey, we need you healthy. We can't let you run. If he steals less than you know five, six bases, that's a pretty, that's a pretty brutal blow to his value. But uh, we'll have to see. I'm not, not super interested in him, but I'm just saying, if he fell enough, I'd take him. I'm with you, dude. I'm I'm with you. Uh, falling, sure. Offensive building blocks is the next tier. Altuve, Javier Baez, Jazz Chisholm, Jorge Polanco, Catal Marte, Brandon Lau, and Tommy Edmond. My favorite tier for second base eligible players. Every single guy is going to uh, go at a reasonable price and can offer you help in multiple categories. My favorite of the bunch, though, Polanco, Marte, Lau, and Edmund Polanco offers power, runs, double-digit steals, 276 career hitter, also has shortstop eligibility, super important there. Marte doesn't offer much in the way of stolen bases, but he has stolen double digits twice in his career. He can bat over 330 home run potential, hits in the middle of his lineup, and also has outfield eligibility, so you can move him around. Lau, not going to hit for average probably, but the power is real. He's going to score a ton of runs, might chip in five to eight stolen bases, and kind of like Marte and Edmund in this tier, who I'll get to in a second, he also has outfield eligibility and then as i mentioned edmund solid source of steals runs could play second short and the outfield versatility making him a big asset could score close to 100 runs as well still get you double digit homers there's a lot to like with those players specifically um your thoughts on those guys and then anyone i didn't touch on in the tier yes this is kind of what i was saying where if you're deficient in in the power category you can go ahead and refill that back up with the brandon lau if you need a mix of everything, you can go ahead and plug in a Jorge Polanco who could hit a 270 batting average with 25 homers and double-digit steals. Doesn't sound awesome, but that'll play up in most in, in 15 team leagues as well as 12s. As far as Altuve, he has just become what he is at this point. He's a steady Eddie power bat that's going to hit in the middle of a premium lineup, and you don't have to worry about him. Javi Baez is a guy that I don't think you touched on much. Where are you at with him? I mean, I like what Detroit's doing as a team. So, um, you know, if last Torkelson and Riley Green kind of mature to the majors, he joins a pretty good ball club. Um, obviously, he has tremendous power. Uh, I think he's averaged over 30 home runs in his past full three seasons. But the on-base percentage leaves a lot to be desired. Batting average has fluctuated a lot throughout his career. Uh I mean, he's fine. He's good. Um, He just isn't necessarily as good as some of the other guys offer as much in some of the other ways. The stolen bases might, might be something that can really help. But again, he just signed a big-time contract himself. The steals, the running might go down a little bit, and that would be concerning for me because right now, if you can get the 30 homers and the 15 to 20 steals, you're feeling great. But if suddenly that becomes 30 homers and maybe eight steals or nine steals, uh, as he you know continues to get older, I think he's 29 now, um, so certainly not you know in his mid 20s anymore. Then suddenly he could lose some value. But I mean, again, I said my favorite tier. They're all good. They're all going to help you. That's no, that's a that's an excellent breakdown on bias. He's a player. Some people 
you know, Altuve is kind of easy to see. He's just a, a good hitter. Polanco is trending that way as well as Marte, but but Baez is the one that can kind of give some people some grief. I've always liked him for the past three, four years because he's got that premium athleticism. As a Cubs fan, I got to see it on display, making his poor approach okay because he was able to have such good bat speed and get to to balls. But he's added two uh, two percentage points of strikeouts every single year from 2018 till now, going from 26 to 28 to 32 to last year, 34% strikeout rates. I was able to overlook that with good athleticism, but uh, that is going to catch him. That's getting pretty high. Certainly could. Do you have any thoughts on any of the other guys in this offensive building blocks tier? I think the last guy, that, and I, and for what it's worth, I do like Baez. I know I was a little negative here, but uh, it is just a note that his strikeout rate's just going up ever so slightly every year. But with Jazz Chisholm, this is a guy that we had kind of discussed off the air. I, I can see potential 2020 here, and that's just tough to find. So from a guy that was a highly regarded prospect, has shown flashes of really good hot streaks. I know he had a rough second half that you're going to allude to, but uh, Jazz is a guy that I think I might like more than you. Yeah, you definitely do. Um, I mean, you know I loved him last season, uh, but if you go, you check out my write-up in the drodo.com draft guide, then you'll see kind of my thoughts more on Jazz and why I'm a little hesitant uh, despite the potential for a 2020 season in 2022. Uh, next best thing tier, we got DJ LeMahieu, Jonathan India, Chris Taylor, and Jake Cronenworth. I uh, like all the players in this tier. My favorite of the bunch, though, India and Taylor. Taylor eligible at second, short, third, and outfield. Hits in a good Dodgers lineup. He's going to play every day. He can hit 20 homers. Swipe you 10 to 15 bags as well. India, only second base eligible, but one of the best second base only eligible players in all of fantasy baseball. Hit to top the Reds lineup. Could score 90 to 100 runs. Can hit 20 plus homers. Hits for average. Could swipe double digit bags. So those are my two favorite, but can't say anything necessarily bad about LeMahieu and Cronenworth either, Lucas. Neither is going to chip in much speed. LeMahieu doesn't hit for much power. Cronenworth's power still a bit of a question mark considering he more than doubled the career best in homers last season. Uh, we just don't know yet if he really is that power guy, but they both have great position eligibility, and we talked a lot about them in depth on our first base show, so there's not much else I'm going to add, but of course nothing wrong with them. Taylor and India stand out to me, though. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely love Taylor. We we both liked him for a while. He's People do concer- do have concerns about his playing time, and I do suppose that I can understand that since his roster's loaded, but they prioritize him. He's a he's a four-year, $60 million man. That's, a, that's starter money, and he's going to be a starter. LeMahieu is a guy that's – you're getting a 100-pick discount off what he did last year, and he played through a hernia. We don't know how much of the season for your Yankees he played through that hernia, but if you're looking at 90 to 100 plus uh, runs with a 300 batting average, I'm hoping for 15 plus homers. Couldn't sound a guarantee. He could hit another 10 to 12, but uh, I think I think Lemayhew's a wonderful bounce back bet with his triple eligibility since he can cover you at, at third base, which is a tough position 
That's we were we were talking before recording. Uh, I was going through a draft and hold I'm in. You were going through a draft you're in, and we were actually just talking about how important those guys with the dual position eligibility is, especially in those draft and holds, because you never know if your team's going to be absolutely destroyed and riddled by injuries. And being able to have guys that you can play in multiple places um, also sometimes allows you to maybe take some more pitchers um, mm-hmm. because you know you're covered at all the positions with two or three players versus having to draft one backup for each spot, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And to touch up on, on Cronenworth, he does have the triple eligibility, but I think that him having first base instead of third base, like LeMahieu is a huge downgrade, relatively speaking. I know it's nice to have triple eligibility, but that's a big, uh, it's not as good as LeMahieu's. He's a decent player. I think he's going to hopefully hit at the top of the lineup and just be boringly good, but I think you can get similar production from Jean Segura and Colton Wong much later with Cronenworth. Yeah, well, we'll get to those guys in probably under a minute now. They're in the next tier. Um, also, I think Cronenworth, we might have seen his best season in certain categories already, whereas LeMahieu yeah. coming off a down year, we've seen how good LeMahieu can be. I mean, he has the potential to be top five in the AL MVP voting. I would bet you probably $500 that Cronenworth doesn't come close to even the top 10 in MVP voting in the NL. So there's a big difference in caliber of player if they both do their best. Absolutely. With India, I want to touch up on him kind of before we jump to the next tier. It is an interesting price with India. He's going around pick 85 to maybe 110 typically. And I don't know what to expect with him. I could see his power coming back down a little bit. I could see the 12 steals kind of drying up a little bit. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he jumped up to 25 home runs. So I just don't really know what to make of him, and it's such an expensive price. I just haven't been willing to jump at it. I mean, I love his ballpark. There's no doubt how good his ballpark is. I don't see the power going down. I'm not sure it's going to rise. The stolen bases, I mean, he was stealing bases in his little bit of minor league action. Um, I mean, I think he had... 17 or 18 stolen bases in about the same amount of games from minor league to major. So he's kind of on pace for what he did from a stolen base standpoint. Maybe not 12, maybe not 13 or 14, but certainly double-digit steals. I think you could certainly see from him. His on-base skills are so elite for such a young player too, hitting atop that order. I'm really not all that concerned, to be honest. No, that's fair. I, I just, it's one of those things, and... His power likely won't necessarily go down. It was just something that I thought of, and I just I, I know there's much cheaper options I can get almost 100 picks after that I really like. Not as good as India, but guys that I can get much cheaper that I still enjoy. And shout out to his on-base percentage ability. One of our friends, Can Doe, he picked India in the top 40 overall in an OBP league. I hope that works out for him. I definitely think it could. I don't think it's a reach at all. I'm sure some people might. Uh, Very busy tier we have here. Still enticing options. Gene Segura, Brendan Rodgers, Ryan McMahon, Colton Wong, Luis Urias, uh, Ty France, Kike Hernandez, Jonathan Scope, and Eduardo Escobar. This is kind of that tier where if you haven't grabbed a second baseman yet, you definitely should. 
filled with quality players still who can offer you counting stats, regular playing time. You're in a really good spot if you're able to take one of these guys and put them in your middle infield spot. I'm going to give you some quick thoughts on each guy and then let you kind of run with it yourself. I look at Gura, useful player. Uh, now he's in his 30s, likely isn't stealing 20 bases like he used to. You should be happy if he's giving you 10 or 12, uh, 13 to 15 homers, 80 runs, 60 RBIs. One constant for him has been batting average, career 285 hitter. Since 2016, he's only hit below 280 once, and it was the COVID shortened season. So Segura's still very steady. Rodgers and McMahon, guys, I've been getting shares of. Two of the better hitters on the Rockies this season. They have locked in playing time at multiple positions. Could both be 20-plus homers, 80 RBI, 80 runs, 5 to 10 stolen bases, and hit for a solid average because of what they can do in Coors Field. Rodgers gets a bit of a bump for me because he proved to even hit well away from Coors. Uh, certainly encouraging for the 2022 outlook. Colin Wong, if you want stolen bases between rounds 11-13 of your draft, uh, he did miss some time with injury in 2021 but still put together a strong season he's good for about 15 homers 15 to 20 steals in a full season and like some of the other guys in this tier he can hit for average which is also great um ty france underrated in some circles as a first baseman doesn't seem as appealing but as a second or third baseman a lot more to like always hit for a solid average locked in playing time Career high in homers last season with 18. Did that in the pitcher's park of Seattle. Going to rack up counting stats. You can move him around the diamond as it suits you. And I know I've been going on for a while now, Lucas. Hopefully you remember some of my points. But there's Scope and there's Escobar. They're both intriguing. Um, regular bats, 20-plus homers. Nice source of runs plus RBIs. Scope and Escobar can also hit 270, which is a nice bonus. Uh, probably not going to hit for um maybe you know the 30 home run type of thing it's possible from them um and then there's a guy like kiki hernandez who can do everything scope and escobar can do but he won't hit for average even though he does project to hit atop the red sox lineup which could be 90 95 100 runs yeah i think you've encapsulated that pretty well i'll, I'll just kind of clearly i put a little bit of thought into it right Oh yeah, those are those are some good notes. This, in my opinion, is is where you really need to get your middle infield. After this, it it is sketchy. I mean, it it's just there's much more question marks after these players. These guys have regular roles on their teams. They have uh, some standout potential skills with batting average from Ty France or stolen bases from from Colton Wong or Jean Segura. Like I said, this is where you're going to be able to figure out what you're deficient in. And you add one of these guys, as long as you know what you're getting, whether it's the steals from Segura and Wong, the streaming potential, of course, from Rogers or McMahon, which is very powerful. Once we start up our DFS, we'll see just how much people want to have cores, even though the lineup is weak. And then uh, last but not least, I want to provide my my two favorites uh, from this tier, as well as my two least favorites. I'll start negative first. Eduardo Escobar is a good player. He has provided a boatload of RBIs and home runs over the past two, three years. I just don't know what the Mets are going to do with his playing time, and that does concern me. If they trade some of the flotsam, such as Jeff McNeil and Dom Smith, I'd be more more appealed. Uh, more appealed. Uh, he's more appealing, but out on uh, Escobar at the moment until I see changes. And then Ty France, he just doesn't have enough power for for me to be interested inside the top 150. 
that's kind of where his price has been. And then the guys that I love are, are Jean Segura and Colton Wong for the steals. And then Enrique Hernandez, again, going back to the DFS point, hitting leadoff for the Red Sox. That has pretty loud potential, in my opinion. I, I mean, in Fenway, with that green monster, right-handed hitter, I think um, it really helped him. Last year, also getting all the at-bats and the playing time he did, certainly very big difference there. Over to the next tier, a smidge of upside. We have Gavin Lux, Abraham Toro, Max Muncy, and Josh Rojas. Get us started. Absolutely. With this tier, there will be two two big names that people are going to look at, two Dodgers. First is Max Muncy. Uh, it's a personal decision that I and many other drafters have made that we're not going to take him inside the top 300, if not even later. I think there is a very potential possibility that he just misses either you know, four or five months or the whole year. I mean, he has a torn UCL and he had a dislocated elbow and he admitted that his recovery is going slow. We are left in the dark on this one, but it's just a risk I'm not willing to take, despite the fact that Muncy is one of the best hitters in the National League. With Lux, he is going to have a make-or-break season at this point. He hasn't necessarily been unleashed with an everyday role since his roster uh, with the Dodgers is so loaded, but they're clearing out a pathway for him, letting Seeger go. I haven't seen enough uh, intangible talent uh, in terms of the stats to be appealed by him, but I suppose that based on the prospect pedigree, he could uh, he could provide some value. I know that I like Lux more than you do. Uh, mm-hmm. Came on towards the end of last season. He began to get those regular at-bats, and as you mentioned, Seager's gone. Um, there's also the injury of Max Muncie, the DH added to the NL. There's a lot of opportunities for him to get consistent playing time. And sure, could be a bust. He could also end up being a really good value at the position, yeah. especially based on where he's going. Um, briefly with Muncie, because you know, he does kind of affect Lux's playing time. I'm out on him as well. I worry that he might not even play at all if he ends up needing surgery. So not so feeling so strongly about him. Toro put together a really nice underrated 60 games following a straight from Houston to Seattle, hit for a career best batting average and on-base percentage during that stretch, added 28 runs, 5 homers, 26 RBIs. If you look at that across a full season on an up-and-coming Seattle team, Toro should provide some steadiness across five categories, even chipping in five to eight steals. Um, Then, of course, Rojas. Um, I like the eligibility. Second, third, shortstop, outfield. Especially useful in the draft and holes like we were talking about just a bit ago because of the eligibility. But in any other format, it uh, could still be useful. Double-digit stolen bases, double-digit homers. I expect him to see a career high in plate appearances. And even though he's on a bad team could compile 120 to 130 RBIs plus runs. Um, I don't think there's a lot of upside, but I do think there's some steadiness there because of the playing time. And he is poss- he has a strong possibility to add third base. Based on roster resource on fan graphs, which I know is not the end-all be-all, but it is a great, util- it's a great uh, tool, he is penciled in as third base, and he barely missed the third base eligibility. He only had 14 games. So I, with Rojas, I, 
man, I wanted to like him. I thought that there was a possibility he could be like a discount version of Chris Taylor uh, heading into this offseason. But after reviewing him more, his power uh, leaves a lot to be desired for, you know, 4.8% barrel rate. But if you're just picking him up as a bench uh, bench option to plug in when you have a guy that gets hurt, he's going to probably provide 10-plus homers, 10-plus steals, if not maybe a little bit more. Okay. I mean, works for me. Uh, leftovers is the last tier. Andres Jimenez, Nicky Lopez, Cesar Hernandez, Haseong Kim, Nick Madrigal, Ramon Urias, Jeff McNeil. And I'm pretty sure I just nailed that pronunciation of Haseong Kim. I think so, too. With this tier, it's pretty pretty grody. Um Jimenez and Lopez profile similarly, and, and maybe even Madrigal to an extent. Potential batting average with, with steals, but very limited power. Jimenez, I think, has the highest upside if he can get uh, if he can get things squared away, but he also has a lower floor since the other guys have better hit tools. Don't really like them, though, because they're just going to kill your power. With Cesar Hernandez and Ramon, Ramon Urias, those are my two favorites. They're very boring, but... In my draft and hold setups that I've been doing, I'm just looking for a guy that's going to be able to be trustworthy enough to plug in, hopefully at 15-plus homers, 260 batting average, and not lose their job. Cesar Hernandez, I think, can certainly do that. And based on the limited options in Baltimore, I think Ramon Urias will not necessarily get supplanted as a starter, the older brother of Luis Urias. That's fair. Uh, If possible, I'm probably avoiding these players with the exception of Jimenez, Lopez, and maybe McNeil. Uh, McNeil, I just worry about the playing time and the lack of power. Uh, but I think he could provide you some other value. Depends if he gets those at-bats. Jimenez and Lopez stand out, though. They lack pop, but they offer a chance at 20 or more steals. They're basically being taken as last resort middle infielders or even bench bats, depending on how deep the league is. Um, I hate to roster guys that might max out to five to seven homers, but a stolen basis is something that you're lacking towards the end of a draft. Uh, consider grabbing one of these two guys to help make up for it. And sometimes power comes out of nowhere too. I mean, a guy you might think is like a five to six homer guy suddenly becomes a 13 to 15 homer guy. I mean, I never thought of Cronenworth as more than 10 or 11 and then he pops 20 plus last year. So you just never know. No, that is fair. These players do have a purpose on some teams, but uh, I don't know. It's just not something I feel good about. That's why they are the leftovers. Last but not least on Yao Sung Kim, triple eligible is super nice, and it comes with the third base eligibility, which is so coveted since the position has kind of dried up to an extent. His first taste last year over in the States was rough. You know, he had a 20, 24% K rate with just a 150 ISO. That's way too many strikeouts for not a ton of power. But he uh, he did provide some steals. He he hit for a little bit of pop. And I think in his second, uh, second trip around the majors, the Padres will be depending on him since their roster is very shallow. So I like him as well. I wanted to throw him in there. All right, good stuff. I mean, definitely don't want to ignore him. Uh, might be one of those guys that just people are interested in. He failed them, and then they just kind of give up, and then suddenly he comes out and 
is worth something. So uh, it mm-hmm. definitely makes sense. I'm with doesn't you there. Have to do, he doesn't have to do a whole lot to make value, and the triple eligibility is nice. That's all I got. Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful part of this leftovers tier is they're basically free, and yep. if something happens to them or they just aren't good, they're an easy cut, and it's never bad to have easy cuts um, when you're like going into the season when you come out of your draft. Absolutely. Any final thoughts here on the second base position, a player you might have another note on, a player you might want to revisit? Because we did go through so many guys. Yes. I just want to reiterate kind of my, my thinking here on the second base position. I think it's a loaded position personally. I think that guys like John Segura, Colton Wong, or even if you dip all the way down to, I mean, even – even an Enrique Hernandez, that's probably my last guy that I would be okay with as a starter. But I think this is a position you can wait on to get a good value, or you can use it to your benefit to add some steals if you need it. If you need some batting average, Jean Segura will help there. But I think it's just a loaded position where you have so many choices. It's just a really good uh, kind of problem to have, I guess. Yeah, it's I mean, I'd rather have that problem than many others that can arise um, when playing fantasy baseball. That's for sure. This has been the Lucas Baseball Podcast Second Base Rankings Edition brought to you by DrRoto.com. Check out our fantasy draft guide. You will not be disappointed, folks. I'm Lou Landers with co-host Lucas Beery. Thanks for tuning in to Lucas Baseball. We'll catch you next time.